All right, babe, let's take a moment to correct our posture, take a deep breath, and have some pure spectrum CBD. Sure. Hey, sisters, CBD can help with acne, inflammation, anxiety, sleep, and so many other PCOS symptoms. I personally take it throughout the day to help keep my stress hormones nice and low. Not to mention, I sleep like a baby every night and I don't wake up fatigued at all. Now open your mouth, please, so I can give you a serving. Ah. Uh... Now hold it for 60 seconds. Head over to PureSpectrumCBD.com and use the code THESISTERHOOD, one word, for 10% off. Can I stop now? Nope, you got 30 more seconds. Doctor said you got PCOS, now go on girl, just lose some weight. Till I took the symptoms into my own hands and reversed them naturally. So I became a dietitian and helped my sisters feel the best they've ever felt. Take a step in my direction if you wanna prove them wrong and take control of yourself. Join a sister and a Welcome everyone to another episode of A Sister and Her Mister. Today we have Nicole Jardim, the author of Six Weeks to Fix Your Period. She is a certified women's health coach, writer, speaker, mentor, and the creator of Fix Your Period, a series of programs that empower women to reclaim their hormone health using a method that combines evidence-based information with simplicity and sass. She's known as the period girl, and her work has impacted the lives of tens of thousands of women around the world in addressing a wide variety of period problems, including PMS, irregular periods, PCOS, painful and heavy periods, missing periods, and many more. Welcome, Nicole. Yes. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Absolutely. It's our pleasure. Yeah. So tell us about your story and how you ended up as the period girl. Absolutely. I, like I was saying, I really was the most unlikely period girl because I never knew anything about my body. I was completely clueless. I would go to the doctor and just make up a date for my last period because I just had no idea. And I didn't really care. I didn't think I needed to know. And I remember, um, you know, for me as a teenager, I had really terrible periods. They were really heavy, really painful. And then they became super irregular. And when I finally saw a doctor about it, she kind of dismissed everything and then just told me, well, you should just go on the pill. And she wrote a prescription for it. And that's what I did. And at the time I was thrilled. I thought I'd found my silver bullet because I no longer had heavy periods that were so excruciatingly painful that I couldn't go to school or really couldn't function. And I you know, was no longer mortified by the thought of leaking through my school uniform, because obviously that is basically enough to warrant the leaving the planet, right? Uh-huh. As a teenager, for sure. And so eventually when I went on the pill, I didn't have any of these issues anymore. And I thought, okay, great. I am now, this is all solved and I don't need to worry about this ever again. And then I started having all of these uh, pill related symptoms and I saw so many different doctors. I mean, I must have seen about 15 doctors over a number of years just to try and figure out what was happening with me because my hair was falling out. I had skin issues. My gut was a mess. Like I had joint pains. I went to literally many specialties of doctors. And I finally threw in the towel when I had an allergic reaction to a UTI medication and I ended up in the ER Wow! and I thought, okay, it's time. (laughs) It's time to figure out another way to do this. And I saw an acupuncturist and he was the first person to say to me that he thought that the pill was causing the problems that I was experiencing. 
And at first I didn't believe him and then it all made sense. And so from there, I really just started to change my diet and my lifestyle. I started exercising better. I was running like crazy. So of course I was causing so many problems for with stress in college and um, eating terribly, of course, college. Mm -hmm. And so it was just one of these things that everything was exacerbating everything else. And so finally, um, I decided actually, I really need to do this work because I got better. Things started to improve drastically. And that was when I made a decision that I was going to leave the, what I was doing and try and learn how to do this stuff and help. That's people. amazing. Yeah. That you went from not even tracking your period to now being the period girl, <laughs> writing this amazing book. That's so easy to understand for someone who is, you know, would have been in your shoes as well. Like it's as if you wrote it to your former self. Thank you for saying that. I really, that was my goal. And it actually was written for my former self to some degree, as much as it is for everyone else who's really struggling, because I really wanted people to understand this step by step. This is how this works in your body. And I feel we, it's our birthright. We should know this information. And yet we are robbed of it from a really young age. And then most of us are finding it out at 35 or 40 and that's not okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, women at such a young age, we don't even realize basic things that we should know. For example, that we ovulate once a month and we can't get pregnant every single day of the month. There's only a certain window. Like these are things I learned way later. Instead, you're like like scared into not thinking about it because I think they just try to scare you about sex so that you don't want to think about anything at all. And yeah. That's exactly it. I know they terrify you. And then you don't even know anything by the end of it all. And by the end of it all, you just take the pill and close your eyes till you're like 25 and then you get up. And then we run into a whole host of other problems as we go. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So in your book, you talk about hormone tears and hormonal hierarchy, and you talk about how like insulin and cortisol can affect the rest of your hormones. There are tears to it. Can you elaborate on this? Because I feel like if we can just understand the connection between insulin and cortisol with the rest of our hormones, then we could be more mindful about what we're doing to those hormones. I cannot agree with you more. And, you know, it's interesting because I feel like hormone imbalances or the term hormone imbalance can feel a little opaque for just regular women who want to fix their issues or address their issues. And I, you know, it's just thrown around so much that I think it just feels confusing. And then they think, oh, where do I even begin? Because I feel like I have all the symptoms and I have all of these problems. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I came up with this, the hormone tears or the hierarchy, because it made a lot of sense to me just from the, from the perspective of cortisol and insulin being these sort of, what do I call them? Queen bee hormones that are at the top of the hierarchy. And they're the ones that have such an impact on all of the other downstream hormones like pregnenolone and DHEA, which I I call the parent hormones because they are precursors to uh, sex hormones like estrogen and progesterone and testosterone. And then of course we have those thyroid hormones and we have melatonin thrown into that mix too. And they're in the tier three level because they really are the end of the downstream <laughs> and they yeah. are really impacted by those upper tier hormones. And so if we can think about the fact that it's not all of your hormones that are completely haywire at once, they're actually just being, they're going haywire because of the tier one cortisol and insulin imbalances. And if we can correct those, or 
even if we don't correct them completely and we just get them mostly under control, we're going to see an amazing uh, downstream effect on our other hormones that are causing all of the period problems that we're experiencing. Because we never think that our blood sugar is affecting our ovaries or, or our menstrual cycle. We don't think stress is impacting our menstrual cycle because we've been told for so long that those don't really have an effect on them. Mm -hmm. But obviously yeah. that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also not the easiest things to like reverse all of a sudden. It's things that needed some yeah. time and consistency with your lifestyle and diet to like make some uh, big changes there. Yeah. It's, yes. it, I feel like that's the hardest part for women with women in general, not just women with PCOS to change. Like you said, like changing the way you work out. So it doesn't spike your cortisol. Cause some people are addicted to that running that like mm -hmm. intense high yeah. or, yes. um, changing the way you eat, you know, not everyone wants to do yeah. that or wants to believe that that'll affect their periods. Yeah. No, they really don't. And I understand completely, right? I mean, we, our bodies evolved in prehistoric times. We didn't know, we don't know that, our bodies were responding to pretty much any external stressor, no matter whether that was a lion chasing us mm -hmm. in the mm -hmm. high grass, or it was, you know, being stuck in traffic or our taxes or a fight with our boyfriend, whatever, you know, it's like one of those things that we don't realize that all of these, these inputs are, are stressors and our yeah. body perceives it all the same way, no matter what it is. And that is ultimately going to, have an impact on our HPA axis. And as a result, that then impacts the other axes in the body and thus our other hormones. Yeah. All and everyone wants to be like this tough girl and not admit that that's the truth. Yes. And just overwrite, like I can handle it. I'm fine. But no, mm -hmm. you need to take care of yourself. It's super yeah. important. It really is. I know because once your HPA axis gets out of control, I mean, it's like, bam, you know, you start experiencing all of these other symptoms that feel like they're unrelated. And that's what's so confusing is that it mm -hmm. all just feels unrelated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's say you have, um, you feel like you have blood sugar issues, but your doctor says you're within range, but like you're, you know, I always read about how obviously blood sugar affects our periods. And then sometimes sometimes even if you're within range, it can affect your period. And it's hard to know this and track this. What do you suggest people do, even if their doctor says they're within range? Well, you know, I've heard that so many times, right? We hear this often, you're fine, even though you're not. And I think that that's where we have to take things into our own hands. And that's really what I had to do. I mean, I just, as I said before, was not getting the answers that I needed. And so I decided that I was gonna figure this out on my own and lots of trial and error later, and I did, but it took a long time. And so what, I, what I'm a big fan of is having uh, clients of mine and anyone reading the book, cause it's all in there too, is to track your blood sugar. And when you're able to track your blood sugar using an actual glucometer, which is usually given to someone who has diabetes, for instance, or insulin resistance, uh, this can be a complete game changing thing to do. And so I'm, I'm, I'm always recommending this because you might not know when your blood sugar is spiking and crashing. You might not know that a certain food is, is a problem. You might not know that maybe you have a gut imbalance that's causing the blood sugar to become more problematic. And so that's where I feel like doing something like this can be so beneficial because you it's really biohacking. You can really see what's going on below the surface. And so what I have clients do is test their blood sugar 
right before they eat, 15, 30, 45, and 60 minutes after they eat. And what I think is also important to recognize too is that blood sugar numbers are, from a conventional perspective, they're a little bit higher than what I recommend or what I've learned from a functional medicine perspective. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about uh, the fact that generally speaking, most doctors would be like, oh, you know, fasting blood sugar at hundred is not a big deal. Yeah. It's like a really big deal, I think. And I feel like, you know, really you want your fasting blood sugar to be somewhere between like 70 and 85. And so if it's there and then it's not going up more than 25 points after you eat, then you're doing well. Like you're in, you're in range. And so that's really what I think is a real needle mover for someone who has blood sugar issues and they're being told that everything is normal at their doctor. Because when you test your blood sugar, you're only testing it once your doctor. When you test after each meal, the way I described, you can actually see the spike. You can see what is happening from the food that you've eaten. You can also isolate. You can eat something that you know, you think might be fine and see what happens to you when you eat it by itself. So there's so much you can do in terms of an experimentation perspective with when it comes to what's going on with your blood sugar. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why it's so important to have that, <clears throat> sorry, that device. So you can kind of do like, if you're doing like an elimination diet, such as going gluten dairy free or something else, you can see how it's affecting and like adjust accordingly. So I think it's really good to track that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. And I also too, I was going to say your symptoms, right? Like that's the other thing too, is that we don't, we, we sort of normalize the symptoms we're experiencing. And if you're tired after a meal or you mm -hmm. just completely have an energy slump at 10 AM and two, and you need sugar or you need caffeine or you need carbs or whatever, those are all signs that there's something going on with your blood sugar, but we've just totally normalized that in our society, right? You wake up, yeah. you're exhausted. You have a huge coffee. Oh, you're exhausted again at 10 AM. You just have more coffee or you have sugar or exactly. something like that. You right? have sugar. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's certainly something for all of us to be thinking about, like what are the daily habits and the routine? Yeah. That's usually how we like to like recommend like keeping track of your meals and stuff, how you're feeling like an hour later or when you wake up, but using like a device like that yeah. is probably better just for, to get really down to the, to the science. And like you said, like when we, sometimes people wake up, they're tired and they feel, you know, like groggy and like just one cup of coffee and or two. And then they get like anxiety because they had too much caffeine. And then yeah. mid-afternoon mid yeah. comes up and they're like having the crash and more coffee and then they can't sleep at night. And it's like this vicious cycle. Vicious cycle. So vicious. I know. And it is so hard to get off of that too. Because when you're making the decision to, you're not doing this anymore. Oh, it's painful for the first week or two or however yeah. long, you know, based on how long you've been in that cycle. So also the other problem I think too, is then wine or alcohol mm -hmm. at night and, you know, to wind you down from the coffee highs throughout the day. And that, of course, as we know, completely messes your blood sugar up and then you don't sleep well, you're waking up in the middle of the night, you're, you're, you're basically just not getting deep sleep. And so I find a lot of the times what then happens is, you know, when you're, well, this is a fact, when you don't sleep properly, you're more insulin resistant than you were when you did sleep properly the next right. day. So that's a huge issue as well. So it's just compounded by all of these factors. It's just great. We're Absolutely. like the bearers of bad news. <laughs> I know. Don't you feel like that sometimes? All right, guys. I do. Everyone, yes, I know. Everyone give up coffee. Stop drinking alcohol. I know. We have to like tell them that we're just the messenger of the science. Like the science is here. We're just the messengers. Don't get mad at us. Don't exactly, shoot the messenger. Right? I know. We're so sorry, but it's true. Don't shoot the messenger. It's really, it's really, I think though, when you, when someone starts to have these 
these great results and they start to feel better, that to me is way more powerful than eating the box of cookies. And so Absolutely. that's really what we have to, we have to remember sure. when we're having, when we're making these changes, it's like it's the, the end truth. goal. Yeah. 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 So in your book, you break it down the six weeks to fix your period. And I love how you break it down. It's like so easy to understand. And you, you talk about pillars, um, food to feed your hormones is the first one, and then blood sugar, gut health, liver, thyroid stress. Why are all these components important to get your period regulated? I know this is a loaded question. It is right. I, you know, I kind of, I wrote something on Instagram recently about what we think fixes our periods and what actually fixes our periods. (laughs) And, you know, we've been told that we can just pop a pill for every period problem, whether you have an irregular cycle or you've got heavy periods or period pain or whatever, you name it. We, we prescribe the pill for that or an IUD or something else. And our cult, and you think about the fact too that the pill is actually still the most popular birth control option on the market yep. 60 years later and it's amazing to me because it's you know we, there are a lot of other options but anyway the point is yeah. is that our culture is very much geared towards let's pop a pill and all will be well in our life mm-hmm. and obviously that doesn't work so well we've all learned that right from our own experiences and so coming back to this idea of what we've been told works and what actually works is, you know, there are huge discrepancies in those messages. And so when I thought about, you know, when I created this program, because this book is really just sort of a shortened version of my Fix Your Period program. And I realized that people needed to have a really clear understanding of what was wrong and why they were doing what they needed to do. And so this is the, these are the foundational pillars of overall health, not just menstrual cycle related health, Mm -hmm. as we all know. And that's really what it came down to. I wanted to tie in each of those pillars to how they impact your period. Mm -hmm. And once people see that, they're like, oh, light bulb. Okay. I understand now. I'm so much more willing to make these changes because I truly get how A is connected to B and C. And so that's really where the food and the blood sugar and the liver and the gut and the thyroid and the stress came in. basically. I love how you look at it as a whole. Yeah. And I think like the talk, going back to what you were saying, like there also needs to be more like conversation information about birth control because like birth control was created for contraception reasons not for regulating periods and hormones and that all of a sudden I don't know at what time period but it became the norm to regulate hormones and periods but instead it's really just giving a a fake period but many women don't know that they just they leave the doctor's office thinking okay this is the solution yeah and and that's it I'm regular now I'm regular. Exactly. Or, you know, I have no other, these symptoms I've been experiencing are now gone. And I agree completely. It actually happened in the eighties when the pharmaceutical industry decided that they didn't really want to spend any more money on birth control research because that shit's expensive. And so they decided that they were going to instead market these pills that they already had, rebrand them as quote unquote, lifestyle drugs. It's amazing. There's actual research There's a great research paper that I I read about this. And I was like, wait, what? So this whole time, you know, they've been pushing these medications to the general public. And it happened to coincide in the US with when we decided to do direct marketing of pharmaceuticals to consumers on TV. So it works out really well for them. And so they rebranded a bunch of pills and, you know, they have the ones for PMDD and then they have for acne and for a regular cycle. So it's, it's so it's perfect. It's what they did was brilliant. And as a result, we now have this belief that this is the, the fix for 
yeah. you name it, any period related problem. Wow. Yeah. And then people get mad when you say that birth control is not the only option. They come back and say, well, doctors are just following evidence-based research. Well, the evidence-based research is not really based on real stuff, you know? Evidence. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Tell me about it. I know. I've had my fair share of people being pissed at me on Instagram for yeah. oh, talking yeah, about the pill, right? Yeah, I know. Because they really, I, and I understand that this is something you've been, or a story that you've been fed for a long time. And you believe this, and you've been told by a doctor who you trust that this is the solution. And here we come just to burst that bubble. <laughs> so yeah. it becomes, you know, and it becomes really triggering. And I really understand that. But at the same time, I believe, and I know you both believe this, that it truly is information that 100% we need to know about because mm -hmm. it's, a, it can be a matter of life or death. I, I interviewed Dr. Felice Gersh. I'm sure you guys know who that is on the podcast oh, yes. a couple of months ago. She's so amazing. Right. And she was talking about PCOS and how the pill is the number one treatment for that, right? It's the go-to. And yet she was like, but women with PCOS have all of these potential underlying conditions that are contraindicated when it comes to taking the pill. Mm -hmm. And so she was like, this is a bad combination and could be really problematic in the, in the moment and in the long term, mm -hmm. And so we have doctors who are actually speaking out and saying this. And so it's just a matter of continuing to speak about and it. And she's a gyno. Yeah. You know? She's not... Like she is a gynecologist saying this. Yeah. And exactly. she was mine. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. Yeah, yes. yeah. You did say we're, that to me. Yes. Yeah. We're actually having her on the podcast as well. So amazing. Yeah. I know. She's but awesome. going back to what Love she said book. too, like the research done on birth control wasn't done on a woman with PCOS or women with irregular periods. They were done on healthy women who were like, I think 18 years old or something like that. And we're using this research to kind of like use it, use it for people who are, who may have PCOS or, or other conditions. Exactly. I mean, when you think about research in general, right, most of it was done on 22 year old college guys yeah. who are so healthy. <laughs> like, that's not very reflective of our population, <laughs> but okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So seeing as the first pillar is food to feed your hormones, can you give actionable steps for our audience to take for the first step, at least then they can take, take a look at your book for the rest of the steps? Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think that you know, I'm sure that we've heard this so many times and the audience has possibly heard this so many times too, but ultimately your hormones cannot work properly unless they have the right nutrients. And so when we think about things like magnesium and zinc and selenium and all the rest of them, vitamins B, like the B vitamins and C and A and all of these, just the fact that they all play really specific roles in the creation of hormones and the actual function of hormones and the endocrine glands, I'm just like, okay. <laughs> so what you really need to come back to is having a diet that doesn't mess up your blood sugar. And that will potentially look different for different people because there are actually amazing studies that show that you can, you know, a group of people can eat the same meal and they can have different blood sugar responses. That mm -hmm. could be because of the genetic component. It could be what's going on with their gut health. Maybe they have an underlying infection. They have an autoimmune condition, whatever. But, you know, ultimately that's really what I think it comes down to. And I try to simplify that. I'm like, okay, if you're testing your blood sugar, you're going to know what works and what doesn't work. And then you want to go a step further and look into what's going on with your gut and things like that. But coming back to the basics, are you eating you know, are you eating two to three meals a day? Are you having um, fiber 
complex carbohydrates, protein, and fat in each of those meals? Mm. And is your blood sugar jumping up more than 25 points in, you know, after you eat a meal? And that to me is the basis. You can kind of eat whatever you want within the, you know, the framework, <laughs> obviously you don't want to be eating like cookies on that plate, but, or you can, if you want, <laughs> but the point is, is that ultimately that's really what I ask everyone to do. So I, you know, I talked in the book about making your plate and really it's like, a very basic algorithm, so to speak. It's a quarter fat, a quarter protein, and the rest carbohydrates in the form of mostly vegetables, um, some grains, if you want grains, uh, and then sweet potatoes, potatoes, things like that. But I just know when you have PCOS, you definitely have a predisposition to blood sugar irregularities in most cases. And that you know, requires a little bit of extra effort, I feel like. And so ultimately, yeah, I feel like if you're making your plate and you're following that guideline, it might need a little adjusting depending on, you know, what's going on with your health ultimately and how stressed you are, then you're going to be on the right track. Mm -hmm. And so I, I really just want to keep it simple for people. I really hate the overcomplication of the recommendations for, for whether you have PCOS or whether you have a hormone issue or whether you're just a human, <laughs> I mean, I yeah. feel like how many diet books are out there right now? It's really overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. Even yeah. when the, it's like a vague, like recommendation, like, Oh, just eat a balanced diet. What, what, what I like about your book is like, you give some direct steps, at least how to get to that balanced diet. Mm -hmm. So you don't keep it vague and it's important, like both sides of it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I agree. I know. I just, yeah, I, I gave way, like not way too much, but I gave so much information in there. I was just like, okay, I have to cut 12,000 words now, <laughs> <This is great. laughs> but it's just, I really want people to understand and yeah. not be so confused because like we said, right. Overwhelm leads to inertia and then you just give up. And that's, yeah. what's the point of that? Exactly. So true. And yeah. then you take the pill sometimes because you know, it's just too overwhelming. Yeah. So yes. for the, for the listeners, when you read the book or when you read any, like any guides or steps, just take it one step at a time. Don't try to add everything at, at once into your, into your uh, regime. I always forget the regime regime and, you know, <laughs> just add it one at a time. When you speak three languages, <laughs> I know you guys, I know I can barely speak English. So I'm in awe of anyone who speaks more than one language. <laughs> it's always very impressive to me. It's so funny yeah. when we make the mistakes. <laughs> you guys are so cute. <laughs> Thank you. So in your book, I noticed that you had a chart of like foods to eat and foods to avoid. And you mentioned eating grass-fed meats, gluten-free grains, dairy-free products, seeds, veggies, and fruits. These are like, I love these recommendations, mm -hmm. especially because we recommend a gluten and dairy-free diet as well and grass-fed and hormone-free meats and things like this. Yeah. How does your digestion and gut health affect your hormones and period? Oh boy. I know. You take a deep <laughs> breath. You're like, <laughs> I know. Right. I feel like it's one of those things that, uh, where do I begin? I, you know, it's interesting because I had terrible gut health issues as a teenager. I don't know about you, teen, yes. but I definitely mm -hmm. did. And nobody ever said anything about that. Right. Cause it was just, you didn't talk about that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I find that that's one of the biggest issues is that we do not talk about digestive problems. We do not talk about our poop as women. It's just not <laughs> something we do. Whereas boys just talk about that stuff. Like it's going out of style. I cannot get over how happy they are the to time. talk about these things. Yes, I know. It's shocking to me as a woman. But anyway, my point <laughs> is, is that, first of all, I think we have to talk about 
about going to the bathroom because yeah. we do not talk about bowel movements. And that is the first step in getting over the shame and then the uncomfortableness of that. And so I always encourage anyone who I talk to or who I'm working with to just lay it all on the line for me. I want to know everything because that is going to be such an indicator of what's going on. Because when you have chronic diarrhea, for instance, you're not absorbing nutrients that you need to absorb and you're just basically chronically inflamed. On the mm -hmm. flip side, if you're chronically constipated, uh, you could you can run into major issues with uh, hormone recirculation because that estrogen and other hormones too, but estrogen is particularly problematic uh, when it's broken down by the liver and passed back into the digestive tract to be removed and you can't go to the bathroom, it can actually be reconjugated and go back into your bloodstream. So we end up with this chronic estrogen dominance type situation mm -hmm. happening. So there are multiple ways that our digestive function can affect us. And so it really is important, I think, for us to just work on the dietary side of things and get our bowel movements regular to start. And I find though that, so I'm seeing more and more women with digestive issues that are chronic, like whether it's SIBO or some kind of other infection, or they've got leaky gut and, you know, they just got ongoing dysbiosis really. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, that requires working with someone who can test you and figure out what's happening. And that I think is one of the biggest underlying issues ultimately as it relates to our gut health and so and our overall health because as we know right your gut basically is going to impact everything and your gut bacteria when it becomes imbalanced whether it's through sugar heavy foods or alcohol consumption or you know the chronic stress because cortisol actually weakens that tight gut lining, then we really run into problems and we don't even realize it because again, how many Americans and people worldwide have gut related problems and have just, you know, they just take medication for it or they take mm -hmm. some kind of over the counter thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah. ultimately, you know, what I think is really interesting as it relates to our gut health is the estrogen connection. So basically what happens with digestion and how it plays into your hormone function is that I was saying before, estrogen is broken down by the liver. So your liver breaks it down in multiple phases, sends it to your digestive tract to be released into the toilet, down the drain. And what happens is that when we have a disrupted estrobilome, so an estrobilome is basically a group of bacteria that um, helps to break down estrogen when it enters the intestine. And so this bacteria produces an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase. And so this has the ability to reconjugate estrogen or reactivate it, so to speak. And so when we have this estrogen that's gone into the digestive tract, it's totally deactivated, it can actually be reactivated if there's too much beta-glucuronidase. And so we that's a big problem because estrogen dominance is a really big issue for so many of my clients, so many women in general. And so ultimately, when we have this estrogen that now recirculates, we run into problems overall with all kinds of period-related issues. So it's really important that we get our digestive function under control in order to have healthy levels of our sex hormones. Yeah. That's so yeah. interesting. And like talking about gut health and 
gut bacteria. There's a lot, there's been a lot of new research in the last like 10 years talking about the importance of gut bacteria and, and how it impacts the immune system. Yeah. And they've even found links to the, to brain health. I, I, I think I heard, or I, I remember reading um, like they found neurons in the stomach or something like that, that were linked to your mental health and things of that nature. So if you're, if your gut bacteria is like out of sync, it's going to affect, you know, like your mental clarity, possibly like dopamine, serotonin levels. Totally. Absolutely. It's amazing to me when you think about gut inflammation and its connection to neuroinflammation and the Mm -hmm. fact that we don't realize that our mental health, at least the state of mental health in our country, it's not great. And I 100% believe that so much of it is connected back to the abysmal state of our gut health. And Mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, when we think about um, these cyclical issues like PMS and PMDD, there's certainly a little bit of research connecting PMDD to the state of our gut. And so if we can get that under control, do we not have PMDD anymore? I don't know. It's so controversial. It's hard to even talk about, but really we have to think about that stuff. That's super interesting. And one supplement that I love taking is a liver supplement to help with that, to help with detoxing the pathways. Yes. I completely agree with you. I'm all about it. Oh yeah. So speaking of supplements, what supplements do you recommend for women with PCOS to help with their periods? Yeah, this is such a great question. I feel like, you know, it really depends obviously, (laughs) but generally speaking, oh, did I lose you again? Are we there? No, No, you're good. good. Okay, good. All right. So generally speaking, I feel like, um, a multivitamin. So some kind of broad spectrum multivitamin I feel is always really useful. Not, you know, not for everyone, but I do think that generally it can be really helpful just because we are so nutrient deficient. So I'm like, Oh, let's just cover our bases. And then I also am a huge fan of the combo of D Cairo and myo inositol for women with PCOS. I mean, I've recommended that for years and years. It's got such great research behind it now, or both of them do. And so I'm, so I'm a big fan of utilizing that as an option too, and other blood sugar lowering or stabilizing supplements as well. I've used chromium with clients many times as well. That's really useful. I also find some kind of fish oil. So I'm a big fan of mm-hmm. cod liver oil. I'm yeah, like, I love I, fish oil. I, yeah. Or like, I don't know my, I actually like take the spoonful of the cod liver oh, oil. Wow. I don't think I'm insane. They're so hardcore. <laughs> I know, but I'm like, just chase that with some lemon water. You're all good. But cod liver oil is so amazing in the sense that it's got the omega threes. It's got the vitamin a in its preformed version, which is what we all need, you know, immune support, all kinds of support. And it's also, you know, got the, it's got vitamin D too. So I love that, but I, I feel like a regular fish oil also works great too. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of the ones that I really go for. I also feel like a magnesium of some kind, just because it plays a role in so many processes in yeah. the body and it supports ovarian function in multiple ways too, can be so useful, but like, Ultimately, I really try not to push too many supplements because I feel like, again, right, we sort of translate that to, okay, I just take all of these supplements and I'll be good to go. Exactly. Right. And it becomes this trans, it's sort of, we translate that from taking medicine to now taking supplements. And I think that we've done a bit of a replacement switcheroo thing. And now, and I don't think that that's a really good way of going about things. So I'm all about like, let's get the food foundation in place first. And then we'll talk about supplements. Yeah. And that's, and then right. focus the supplements on where you actually need it. Like if you're insulin resistance, then go for a myro and T-chiro inositol supplement. And then if you have other issues, like a lot of inflammation, you know, fish oil will help. And then you add them all up together yeah. eventually. And you know, yeah. Sometimes yeah. you hear like, oh, and should I add berberine and should I add this and should I add that? And it's like, 
they all sound great. Let's start yep. with one yeah. and let's right? focus on your diet first. Exactly. Yeah. Start with one because that's the other thing. I, first of all, supplement graveyards are a real thing. Oh. <laughs> I have, I happen to have had many oh, of those. Funny. Right. And they're a also, funny word. It's so true, but it, isn't it amazing? Like you, that drawer and or yeah. cupboard in your kitchen. So bad. I'm like, Hmm, I have like $500 worth of stuff in here. That's great. Uh-huh. If somebody robbed me, they could just take my supplements and they would be good to go. But yeah, it's really that I think is a huge problem. And then secondly, people don't realize that there are contraindications for supplements and combining supplements, and they're not recommended for everyone depending Mm -hmm. on their circumstances. So you can't just take a thousand things and hope for the best. You really have to start with one, know whether it's working or not, and then go from there. Yeah. I'm with you. Absolutely. Yeah. We're all on the same page. I love it. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) And I have one last question for you. My favorite question. What does an ideal day of food look like for you? Oh, I love this question. You know, it's winter right now. Obviously I've shared my background with you too. (laughs) It's crazy (laughs) out there. And I find that one of the first things I love to have on a cold day is a cup of bone broth. That's one of my favorites. I also add in collagen. I'm like, can't hurt. (laughs) Just add a little bit more in. Right. Exactly. So I usually start with bone broth and I actually, funnily enough, have been having green juices, which I don't typically have in the wintertime at all, but I put a lot of ginger in them. So it's basically like hot enough to kind of like blow your head off. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they don't feel cold. So I've been having (laughs) green juices too, because I feel like the stress of moving, I was saying to you both, I moved into a house recently and all the things that are going on with this year, I'm like, I think I should just get all the nutrients I need or I can get. Right. So, uh, yeah, bone broth, I've been doing green juices. And then usually, um, my partner and I will have breakfast together. We usually do like a, what a friend of mine termed the superhuman breakfast. So we do eggs with some kind of greens, Mm -hmm. maybe sweet potato, avocado. So we do a combined protein, carbs, fiber plate. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, throughout the day, like we'll, we usually batch cook things. So we'll batch soup or we'll batch like some kind of some hearty something or other. And we'll have that for lunch and then we'll cook dinner together for the most part, or he'll cook dinner. <laughs> I'll like nice. observe oversee. Do, yeah. you throw in, do you throw in snacks between your meals? I do. I tend okay. to be a snacker. So I re- I've like, it's something that I find that I snack, I snack on like things in the wintertime more. I, I don't know. It's dark. I'm hungry. I don't even know what that's about, but uh, <laughs> it's definitely a circadian thing, I think. So I find that, yeah, we put, we have snacks, but like just basics. I'm pretty boring. I do carrots and hummus or I'll make guacamole and some chips or yeah, something like that. Really but I'm pretty straightforward. Perfect. I don't, try, yeah. I don't complicate my life. <laughs> that's, honestly, have to. that's like the best way, like the, the simple snacks. So you don't have to take time away from your day to have a snack or like the batch cooking. Cause you want to make lunch and dinner enjoyable, not like work to make the food. Oh, there Oops. goes Mike. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Well, okay. That concludes my questions. Yeah. This is an amazing <laughs> podcast. Honestly, thank you for being with us. Like we had a great conversation. We'd love to have you again on the episode oh, or on the podcast. Yeah. And could we, is, if it's okay with you, could we give, give away a copy of your book? When this oh my gosh. Releases? Yes, absolutely. I would love awesome. that. Awesome. Yes. Awesome. Our publisher can arrange that. It's very exciting. Awesome. That's great. That. And for those um, that, are, that want to buy the book, you can go ahead and find it at www. I don't know why I said WW. I think we all know there's a <laughs> WWW, but fixyourperiod.com. And if they want to reach you for any like possibly one-on-one or different kinds of resources, how could they find you? 
Yeah. So you can go to my web, my main website, it's nicolejardim.com and my book's also on there too, but fixyourperiod.com is a lot easier to remember. And um, I have a contact form on there. I have my programs on there. I'm also on Instagram a lot, just like you guys are. Uh, And so you can find me on there at Nicole M. Jardim. Awesome. 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 All right. Thank you so much. Uh, If you want, just stay on for one minute and then we'll we'll talk after this. It was so nice having you. Thank you both so much. This was such a pleasure. Thank you. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to come check out The Sisterhood. It's my monthly membership site where sisters just like you are learning how to move through the stages of PCOS. From stage one, cold and alone at the doctor's office, to stage five, nailing the PCOS lifestyle, gluten and dairy free. Get ready to finally feel in control of your body again.